0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Hanson. Thurley Ruxton by Philip Viral Miguels. Chapter 31 The Cauldron Bubbles. Gaylord came into his offal a trifle pale, and more than a trifle agitated. The news received at his bank had been staggering, yet had served to arouse a rage in his breast that stiffened all the sinews of his being. The first intimation of Faishi's double-dealing had come thus belated to his ken. He found himself practically undermined before his least suspicion had been aroused. His secretary glanced up at him instinctively, wondering if the warning note received that morning from the bank had been confirmed. He saw that it had. Gaylord threw down a bundle of papers and leaned on the desk. "'I might have known better than to deal with that Dago count,' he said. "'They are born to fatten on the world at large, and the U.S. in particular.' "'Has the list improved since noon?' the secretary rose and went to the ticker, where the white paper tape was coiled yards long in a basket. "'It was going off when I looked at it last,' he imported, scanning the figures printed on the narrow strip of ribbon, still dragging a little heavily.' Oh, I'd expect that as part of the luck, said Gaylord, seating himself beside the desk and idly strumming with his fingers. It's something, I suppose, to have found out as soon as this what my olive oil associate is doing. I'll put a crimp in him for this that the devil himself couldn't iron out. I hope you will, sir, exclaimed his secretary earnestly. "'I have felt all along that you were trusting the Count too far, "'putting too much of the management in his hands,' Gaylord scowled. "'Without him and his uncle's connections in Paris, "'we couldn't have put a finger in the pie. "'Quite right, sir. "'But hasn't he got you to put in more than a finger, "'I mean, in the past few days?' "'That's the joker,' Gaylord admitted. "'My share before was comparatively small.' all he would let me have. Now I have got an arm in the pie, and maybe part of my shoulder. He must have held me off before to make me eager, and now he has let me in up to the hilt for this. But uh, what about your note, sir, said the eager assistant, returning from the ever-busy ticker that was blithesomely tapping out fortune or ruin on the tape? Uh, They have not fallen into his hands? That's the one uncertainty. I shall not be able to determine where they are for several days. Tyson has let them go, the ingrate. If Aishi gets them at all, it will be in a roundabout manner. I doubt if he'll take them personally. He'd prefer to have someone else put on the screws. But you'll beat him, of course, at the final moment. "'To a pulp,' said Gaylard, rising and striking the desk with his fist. "'I'd rather go stone-broke and get out in the street to dig sewers than have him down me now, the treacherous hound.' "'Perhaps,' said the secretary timidly, "'you might be wiser to let me sell your curb securities. Uh, "'Well, the loss is reasonably small.' "'Not a share,' Gaylord told him decisively. "'I've taken losses enough.' This is merely a dip in the market. That's well known everywhere. I shall need some profits on that Q&P to fight this business through. And metal reductions is due for a rise on the dividend payable this week. I'll take a profit on them both. He went to his inner office restlessly, closed the door behind him, and began to pace the floor. His thoughts had gone straight to Thurley, and Faishi's aspirations for her hand— He was instantly hot all through, recalling a scene of the princess and her count together at Alice Van Kirk's. He had likewise read of her adventure with Stiverant's car, and this had increased his impatience. He thought of his letter, written and sent to Thurley after their drive in the park. There had been no answer. He turned to a heap of mail that was neatly piled on his desk, and pawed it over rapidly in search that availed him not at all. Again he paced the room. That Faiishi had mixed their business with affairs concerning thoroughly, with purpose to eliminate himself, had not yet occurred to his mind. But now that the die was cast by the Count— The plan to beat him thoroughly in their financial deal, and so perhaps forcibly eject him from Thoroughly's circle, was royally welcome to his mind. He paced for an hour, working out his plans, then started for Alice Van Kirk's. He encountered Faiishi outside the office door, the Count having just arrived for a moment's conversation. "'Ah!' So very early you depart your business place, said he. It is not impossible a trifling conference? I'm rather in a hurry, Gaylord answered. Anything new, perhaps you can tell me here. Very good. The building is your office, eh? And Faishi shrugged resignedly. I have only to inform you this option which we hold. It is demanded we shall cable the money. "'Not later than the seventeenth. "'And this is important, you shall know,' "'Gaylard colored wrathfully. "'But you said the end of the month. "'Ah, yes, this was my wish, my hope. "'But also I am helpless. "'This is the cable from Paris.' "'He produced the cable in question, "'Gaylard read it with a blur of red before his eyes. "'He felt convinced that his friend, the Count, "'had requested this demand.' for no other purpose than that of destroying all possible chance for him, Gaylord, to meet his obligations. He saw more than words upon the yellow slip. He saw ruin smoking about him and his structures prone on the ground. Yet one gleam of hope still shone through it all, and with characteristic American stoicism, he accepted the outlook with scarcely a sign that Faishi could have enjoyed. All right, he answered carelessly, handing back the message. Is that all you can think of today? It is enough for me, replied the Count mirthlessly, smiling. I shall be obliged to call upon all my resource, everything. Yourself, ah, you Americans have such untold monies. Sell, I have no more intelligence. I must also go. His gentle hint that Gaylord must command a very large sum of of money within a week to meet his obligations or be wrecked was not at all lost on his business associate, who felt the barb of the Count's little shaft diffusing poison through his system. They went to the elevator together, parting below in the hallway of marble that led to the Broadway entrance. Each was anxious to escape the other, and both took cabs a block apart and started to race uptown to the Van Kirk mansion they were doomed to double exasperation. Not only did they once more meet at Alice's home and exchange the venom of jealous hatred, disgust, and distrust, but Alice and Thurley were away for a ride in the park, and had left no word as to when they might return. Both men went off wrathfully to inundate the place with flowers." alas for plans the quiet ride intended by allison thoroughly for a little slipping away together for a much-needed calm and subsistence of nerves and pulses had been metamorphosized almost at the moment of departure into one more extraordinary experience Grand Duke Carl Wilhelm, youthfully confident that American manners were absolutely informal and different from those of civilized community, had translated Thurley's hospitable remarks with a literal license, positively touching. He had come unexpectedly this afternoon because he wished to come, and he had found an earlier arrival on the scene in American tailoring a bit impractical. Indeed, he apologized profusely for this somewhat tardy appearance, when the dictates of his heart and sentimental system would have urged him to the scene the very next morning, after his formal introduction. Alison Thurley, with one accord, had invited him into the carriage. He sat himself down by the princess. And with alacrity that could leave no doubt of the happiness he declared to be his portion, he forthwith desired to know of Thurley and Madame Van Kirk if their tongues were accustomed to French. His joy could scarcely have been concealed when he learned that Alice was helpless and thoroughly fluent in the Gaelic language. Nevertheless, he continued for a time to address them both in German. He was a pleasant youth, despite the fact that he had fallen hopelessly in love. His observations as quaint as a child amused his companions immeasurably. The buildings, the American women, and the brilliant winter sunshine astonished him in nearly equal degrees. He announced, however, that of the three he preferred the women. "'Is it uh, very difficult to become an American citizen?' he asked quite seriously." "'Could one be made of me?' Alice replied that five days usually bestowed the manners, clothes, and money madness, and five years the vote upon all foreign aspirants to this red, white, and blue preeminence. "'Ah!' said the Duke. "'And how far from New York are the Mormons?' "'About five minutes' walk from Trinity Church,' said Alice gravely. "'She added that the sect of Brigham Young and his followers "'was three thousand miles to the westward. "'And so many beautiful women here,' said the Duke, solemnly shaking his head. "'One must live here longer to comprehend the American men,' "'thoroughly regarded the Duke amusedly. "'And should you like to become a Mormon?' His eyes glowed with all his youthful fire and pent-up eloquence as he turned turned them reproachfully upon her. Princess, he said in French. After this discovery of you, her color mounted with the undulating beauty of a zephyr over a meadow of clover, I thought it was your discoveries of our women, you know, that aroused your interest in that obsolete religion. Her answer was in German. He adhered to the tongue that he knew obscured his observations from Alice. "'For the others, yes, for me. Ah, what happiness! I have known since I came upon you in your home. But you shall tell me, princess, must you live always here to be content?' Thoroughly smiled and replied in the Teuton tongue, I hope to be contented wherever I may live. His eyes became imploring, Have you no little word for me alone, in French? How little, she answered. There is always non, you know. Ah, how hopeless I am, he declared. Those who have traveled far to find you. Do you treat them always thus? She could not resist the temptation. Her answer was in the tongue he desired. You are certain you came to New York to find me? He reddened, but did not for a second drop his glance, held magnetized by her own. How could it be otherwise? Have not the fates quickly brought me to your side and given me back my joy a thousandfold? But your excellency, not Karl, when I asked it so earnestly. When I search no farther in all America to satisfy my heart. There are so many things to talk about before you return to Herzegotha,' she said, her own glance falling in the uninterrupted ardor of his eyes. "'Do you not very soon return?' "'How shall I say?' "'Unless you say it for me, princess. There are beauties of the land, beauties of the people.' beauties of the life and hurts as you would be certain to know, will these not appeal to you and call you presently there? Call me there, Your Excellency? You shall make me yet to curse that word, Excellency. Gracious princess, though you are, he told her warmly, why shall I hesitate to confess to you the love grown wild for utterance in my heart? Is it treachery to your love of America for me to beg that you go to Herzogosa at my side, my princess, and duchess, and companion? Good gracious, said Thoroughly in English, uh, turning suddenly to gaze outside where carriages by scores were rolling by. Oh, Your Excellency, perhaps it is someone you know. His eyes followed hers to a landau wherein two women were bowing and smiling. YOU KNOW THEM, SAID ALICE, BOWING AS SHE SPOKE. Uh, THE CUSTERS? WE'LL HAVE TO BE CAREFUL, MY DEAR, OR OUR FRIENDS WILL THINK WE HAVE CUT THEM. THURLEY IMMEDIATELY BEGAN IN HER ANIMATED WAY A DESCRIPTION OF VARIOUS FRIENDS IN WHOM THE DUKE WAS INTERESTED LESS THAN IN MARS, THEORETICAL POLICEMEN. IT WAS ANYTHING TO INTERRUPT AND forestall HIS UNCOMFORTABLY ARDENT DECLARATIONS. Alice, with her customary grasp on the situation, rose to the moment's requirements superbly. She had readily divined more than half of the cause for Thurley's abrupt discomfiture. She had seemed absorbed in the passing show, but all her faculties had nevertheless been focused on the looks and speeches of their guest, whose obvious madness over Thurley had much more amused than alarmed her— she was naturally in possession of all the facts and developments resultant from Thurley's interview with Baron von Hotchhaus, and far more than her protege was pleased at the turn of affairs she was planning such a dinner as Gotham Sweldom had never yet experienced. she meant it to be the one sensation and triumph of the season. Already a brilliant success was promised, and now she felt as if the gods of chance had cast to her hand the most amazing combination of drawing cards conceivable in her princess and the duke. She thoroughly expected sagacious New York to discover His Excellency with its normal celerity for obtaining and printing news. She had scarcely a doubt that even this ride would discover his identity in a measurable degree. It did. In the briefest time their carriage was attracting such attention as almost to interfere with pleasure's traffic. In their eagerness to have a second, a third, or even a fourth good look at the brilliant young couple, delightedly conversing as they rode, A dozen women ordered their drivers back and forward most eccentrically to give them their coveted view. It became the topic of the park. The topmost notch of Thurley's skill, more than ably abetted by Alice's maneuvers, was required to subdue and manipulate the young duke's ardor sufficiently to conceal it from outside observation." thoroughly talked like a fountain spilling crystalline water of roses. It was like that, a, a fragrant, bright nothingness of conversation as nearly endless as she could make it, and all of it chaining the senses of the Duke more and more by its unintentional charm. The drive became a trial before at last it was ended, and His Excellency went his way duly shadowed by one of Zagorsky's brood who had waited for hours for his man, mindless of everything and boyishly joyous. Carl Wilhelm, already made acquainted with the New York habit of wooing through the offices of roses, proceeded at once to send such a mass. Of fragrant beauty back to Thurley as even Alice had rarely beheld. To conclude a day hardly less exciting than some of its predecessors, the late edition of the evening star appeared with a wondrously ingenious sensation to the effect that Princess Thervinian, and her FIANCE, Grand Duke Carl Wilhelm of Saxon Hertz and Heimer, had been riding that day in Central Park. The young duke, so the story stated, had chartered a vessel to break all transatlantic records in hastening New Yorkward to the errant princess known to have run away from Herzegotha recently. She fled, it related, from a mating repulsive to her spirit, inasmuch as she had never seen her royal suitor. Their dove-like happiness had now been established in the prettiest royal romance known in years. The results had been brought about, continued uh, the bend of fact and fiction, by the timely arrival of some mighty potentate from Kaiser Wilhelm himself, said to be Baron Hotchhaus von Sieglitz from Berlin, who was still sojourning in Gotham. A wedding journey back to Herzegotha soon in the private yacht of Kaiser Wilhelm was the next development to be expected." End of chapter thirty-one.